Welcome to Books, Baby, the podcast where we're reading the rainbow and the occasional white straight man. In this month's episode, we'll be talking about the war crisis uh, season, our favorite books from trans and non-binary authors, and what we should do when we find out the author of a book is problematic. Welcome to Books Baby, where we are reading the rainbow and the occasional straight white man. Welcome back to season two. And it's been a big month since our last episode. We had Mardi Gras in Sydney and then International Women's Day. It's also been a huge month for book prizes. So internationally, we saw the long list from the Women Prize and the International Book of Long Lists. And closer to home, we had the Stella Prize coming out as well. As always, I'm joined by Alo, Ian, and Jamie. Hello. How Hello. are you all? <laughs> Hello. Hi. Um, you all you all had a big, big month as well. Like Alo, Alo was really raging it up at Mardi Gras. <laughs> I, I was and I, Ian I, was marching. <laughs> I was yeah. marching, yes, yes. And it wasn't just Mardi Gras, it was World Pride. There was World a whole Pride, month yeah. of things going on. So yeah. it's, it's been quite a social, busy time, which is good. Yeah. And Jamie, were you in a crowd as well? Or uh, no, I watched from home. It was far too hot and busy. <laughs> we were in um, my friends and I, and we ran into Allo actually at the ASOC Queer Library in the middle of Sydney. Oh no way! Um, so we did go to that. I caught up with Ian Allo um, for brunch that morning, and then we went to the Queer Library, which so nice. was was very funny because we got up, and then Jamie said like, "Oh, I'm going to the ASOP's library." I went back to my hotel. We were there and I told Mark, my partner, like, oh, let's go to the city. He needed to buy some stuff for the parade. And when we were walking to get his stuff, I saw the Aesop's library line and it was literally 10 people. I was like, oh, I'm just going to line up. And then I saw Jamie coming in. I was like, oh, I thought she would have come and gone already with this line so short. I see. So you both ditched me and went to the Aesop (laughs) library without me. Didn't you go home to have a nap for the parade? That's true, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd already been to the ASOP library on the first day. So I was surprised. I'm really missing out. Because that was the, like the third day, right? When we went, of how many yeah, books so they were still, still there. Because I also went to the Melbourne one. Mm. And I went in the Melbourne like the third day. And there were basically most of the books gone by by the time I, I get there. I feel like we were shortchanged in Melbourne, but maybe yes. they have more books. They have more selection as well in Sydney, but maybe it's because World Pride. World Pride, yeah, there. probably. So I think so, they yeah. had more, yeah. Um, the Melbourne shop was gorgeous as well, but uh, yeah, people were like out the line, <laughs> out of the way in the rain when, as it does in Melbourne as well. That's awesome. I was going to ask if you picked anything from the um, any of the prizes that we had, but if nothing of that um, interests you, I'd also love to know what you picked up from the Aesop Queer Library. Oh, I picked up um, Shelley Parker-Chan's She Who Become, Became the Sun, uh, which I've been wanting to read for ages. So um, oh, I had I a little bit of from list before. <laughs> I'm like, of course. Yes. I was, I was like torn between that and the one that I eventually picked. But, yeah. Which one did you pick? I picked um, Enclaves by, oh, I can't remember her name now, but she was a speculative fiction um, Aboriginal writer. So um, it felt really interesting to me. Oh, that, that's Claire Coleman, isn't it? Ah, Claire Coleman. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can do a little exchange. <laughs> in yeah, I'd love to read well. that one too. Yeah. Um, I got um, Broken Jade by Paul Chan. 
Mm. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to that. It was like, no, I feel like no one was picking it up when I was there. There were so many left. And so I was like, oh, what's this? It's got a cute little cover. And so I wandered over, had a read, and I was like, yes, I'm going to get this one. And I saw one of the other Instagram accounts, uh, Josh Hortonella. He works at Dimex in Sydney. <laughs> he got that one as well. And so when I he went a few days before us. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I looked it up, sounded good. And then I nothing else was taking my fancy. So I got that one. I got an excited and vivid inner life by Paul de la Rosa, which is a, a collection of short stories. It's a guy from Melbourne and um, I've asked my partner to pick Exactly As I Am by Ray White. And I mm. did this too because like I wouldn't normally buy a short stories book or and the other one is poetry. So I thought like, oh, I can I should give it a go to something that I no, wouldn't normally get myself so i'm very excited about this these two ones no that's awesome so you picked up poetry and short stories like very yes. different yeah very different thoughts poetry is having a little bit of a moment i feel like people are like really getting on to poems are you all feeling that as well i got uh from jamie timey's mother as mm. a christmas the christmas gift and i actually loved it because i i feel like it's so different of what i read in school for poetry like very structured poems and stuff like that and this is more experimental i would say and i really enjoyed it like Mm. because there were poems that actually felt like more like a short story rather than a poem itself so yeah uh, when i was at the aesop library i had a look at this one and thought like oh they actually look like poems like the other ones I'm just gonna give it a go yeah that's awesome and bring it back to sort of award award season is there anything from those lists that we've mentioned so far it's like I feel like after coming off the back of the Booker Prize at the end of last year and then these three major ones a little little bit of prize fatigue are you all feeling that as well (laughs) Oh, definitely. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> so, and there's three at once, right? So you've got the yes. National Booker, you've got the Women's Prize, and you've got the Stellar Prize here in mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and like my reading goal, well, one of my reading goals this year was to actually just not buy so many books and read the ones I've already bought because I've got a ridiculous number of books on my shelf. So I'm trying not to like follow the prizes. I'm like completely just like no radio silence. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's good because you'll just tempt me to go and buy these books. That being said, I do want to read The Marriage Portrait and I really want to read um, (laughs) (laughs) Demon. It's a Demon Copperhead. And I'm going to make you one. that gets you. (laughs) Sorry, I'll go. (laughs) I'm going to make you want to read another one because I read the, from the International Booker Prize, the Mexican author that is listed. I have read that novel. It's called Stillborn. It's magnificent. It's a great novel. I read it like a couple of years ago. In Spanish Did you read it and in Spanish, yeah. yes, and and I've re- read that uh, um that author, and I'm just gonna give a shout out to one of my friends who recommended it to me, and my friend Lorenzo in Mexico. She he actually recommended me a short story um book collection from her, and I loved it. Um, I read it during the pandemic, and I started reading all her other novels, and this one particularly is her latest novel, and it's so so good about these two women one who doesn't want to become a mother and becomes pregnant by accident and the other one who's trying to become a mother and doesn't want and can't get pregnant it's really good it's really good fine I'm adding it to my list (laughs) (laughs) actually I've seen people raving about it on um, Instagram when it came out I think the translated 
version came out last year. Yes. But it, it felt it felt really tragic. I'm not, I'm not emotionally ready <laughs> to do that to myself. Um, Jamie, you love translated fiction. So is there anything on that list this year that you, because last year I remember you were like, love this, you know, love the entire yeah, list. I think, I think I read like one of the lists last year. You know what I'm like? Mm. I like, read one that's enough for me I had a look the one I'm most interested in is whale it's um a Korean author Mm. um can't remember exactly what it's about but I think it's basically like exploring Korean life which I do find interesting anyway so I think I'll get to that at some point yeah are you interested in something um I think I was looking at the Stella prize list and it was really diverse I think it's been really good the last couple years but um I was really interested in reading Louisa Lim's uh indelible city it's about um, hong kong's struggle for independence um and she kind of uh, she's a journalist so she's writing about it from a point of view as a journalist but also as a point of view from a hong kong citizen so um i'm from hong kong so um well yeah. part of me is from hong kong so <laughs> i'm pers- personally like which part my mother part <laughs> um, <laughs> personally kind of invested um in seeing people talk about it uh apart from I guess all the stuff that's going on in the news somebody someone's talking about it more thoughtfully and I'm like really happy to see that on the Stella uh longest prize didn't you read one of them as well was it every version of you um I did I every version of you I like I actually loved it I didn't think I actually requested it and I ended up loving it and um Grace Chan, the author, is also really lovely from the DMs we've had. She it, it's a speculative fiction based in Melbourne, um, but it's like it's speculative fiction, but it's it's sort of like a breakup slash love story as well. So I thought that was um really well done. If you liked Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind or Everything Everywhere All at Once, like kind of like lo-fi sci-fi, if that makes sense. It's not like like everything's familiar, but it's all rooted in like human emotional problems that you would have anyway, even if tech wasn't there. Um, yeah, it was just like I thought it was like a brilliant debut from her. And that's yeah. why I added it to my list. Yeah, so <laughs> I love everyone's like, too. no, I'm not reading any book of any any like prizes. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yes, like, now. It doesn't take much to convince us. I know. It really <laughs> take my money. As the um, it's the danger of having this um podcast is that um yes our reading taste got more diversified but my bank account is also looking low. <laughs> <laughs> I we I think we originally we wanted to and we still will and we wanted to celebrate International Women's Month and we were going to talk about the establishment of the Women Prize for Fiction so. Uh, it's a really interesting background because it's only it's quite recent, really, because it was established in 1996, and it was established because in 1991, none of the six shortlisted books in the Booker Prize was by a woman, despite like 60% of the novels published that year. I think in the UK were by female authors, so that was cool. But you know, when you set up a prize like that, it's sure to draw. Comments after the price was founded, uh, we had people like Auburn Work, who actually I don't know who that is, but he nicknamed or they nicknamed it the Lemon Prize. And then Jermaine Greer, who I do know, said that there will soon be prize for writers with red hair. So people were really like putting it down, like why should that be a separate category for 
uh, woman. And then more recently, in 2019, the prize was more pulled up for more, I guess, contemporary issues. So um, Akuake Mezi, who I know we all love on this podcast, um, David novel Freshwater was nominated and was the first time a non-binary transgender also was nominated for the prize. At the time, they didn't know she was non-binary transgender. So when they did find out in her second submission for the uh, death of Vivek Oji, they asked for her sex as, uh, their sex as defined by law. Um, Imezi chose to withdraw because they said that they would not submit their future novels for con- uh, consideration because the requirement was transphobic, which like not a great look for inclusivity for the Women's Prize. I guess in light of all this and in light of the conversations around this, we wanted to talk a little bit about the narrative around the Women's Prize and flipping it a little bit, what our sort of, um, I guess, journey, because the conversation has really been brought to the forefront recently for us, our journey on kind of reading more um, non-binary and transgender authors. And I thought we could start with, I think we all loved Detransition Baby. Um, how, how you all felt when you first kind of first picked up that book, like a book that really broke, uh, broke through the mainstream by a trans author. Um, and I guess um, whether that's opened the doors to more authors that you would recommend reading. Um, I was the first, one of the first ever to read it because I got it as an arc. So yeah. I know I read it before everyone here. But like at the time, I, I wasn't like in the mood for it, but I had like a time limit like they always do with arcs. So it's like, I better read it. And like, I didn't dislike it, but I, I don't think I realized how big it was going to become at the time. And so I definitely respect it more now and can see like the influence it's had like on uh, the LGBT community at large, but specifically the representation for like the trans communities, because it does bring up a lot of important issues. And yeah, I think at the time, if anyone goes and sees my review on Instagram, which is still there, I didn't rate it very high, but like it's it's not necessarily a book for me because it's not, I can appreciate it, but it's not like aimed at me but I can definitely appreciate how important a book it is um, in the wider bookstagram and just reading communities. I um, actually love the book. I, I found it very insightful in many ways. One of the things that I love more about the book is actually it's written by a trans woman, uh, but they have like a very diverse cast of characters. They have the cis woman who, they, the trans woman who has decided to detransition, hence the title of the book. And I thought that was a very interesting approach to the novel because it helps to destigmatize the, the, the all these ideas about uh, detransitioning. I thought that was very important because particularly conservative groups think like, oh, if you transition and then you regret and all those things. Um, it gave me a, a bit of perspective around that, like you can still be a woman without looking like what society has told us like a woman should look or a man should look like. But I also found the book, it was so deep, but at the same time, so funny. Like I laughed a lot with these characters. They were very personable. It was such um such a smart way to talk about so many important themes, but in a very funny way. And I think that stuck with me a lot. I agree, Alo. It was really mm-hmm. funny. And the dialogue was just really sparkling. It just jumped off the page and... You know, often, um, you know, dialogue can be a real letdown in some novels, um, but this felt really authentic and it was really funny, but it also had those deeper meanings. And and I liked the backstories too of how the women had transitioned and their journey, which, um, you know, I'd like to read more about that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was informative, but also just a lot of fun. What was your experience, Beth? I, like, I love that book. I, it was, it felt 
you know, like an updated sex in the city. And the fact that it could cover so much issues and ground and never felt, you know how some books are like important books and they feel like they're kind of, you know, very heavy-handed lecturing. This never, this felt real because you're with the characters and they were experiencing a problem and working their way through it, as opposed to like, it was on the exposition, like da 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 this is. Um, it felt like a lived experience, I think. And I think Tori Peters deserved that um, award. Was it last year or the year before? I can't remember when she won. Actually took out the Woman Prize for Fiction for that book, I think. Or, or was just nominated, I can't remember. I think she was just I, nominated. I know, just nominated, yeah. Nominated. Yeah, but it was, yeah, it was, it was very excellent. Like reading that book, did it break open? Did you go seek out more um, authors by trans and non-binary people? Uh, yeah, Alan. I did, but I actually preparing for this episode, I realized how uh-huh. little I read about works from trans authors or non-binary authors, but I did read Felix Ever After, which I thought it was a great a book in terms of young adult people because it doesn't sugarcoat the the process of transitioning and finding yourself what I'm assuming a, a trans person goes through because I obviously can't um, talk about their their experience but with a very similar vibe from like the, the transition like very close but lovable characters and funny which I really really enjoy but I also noticed that um, I've read trans stories written by non-trans author. I read this, I love John Boyd, and he has this book called My Brother's Name is Jessica, I think, and which I thought at the time that was really good, uh, but now I, with time and thinking, it's like, oh, it's not, um, at least it's, it's the perspective from a cis person through the journey of their sister. And the other one that I, I actually find it a bit problematic when I read it is Honeybee by Craig Silver, which is a lovely story, but I don't think a YC straight man should be telling the story of a trans person. I do agree with that though, because even like trans stories, but like LGBT characters often pop up in like white cis author narratives and I, I don't think it's appropriate even if it's done thoughtfully or like with good intent or whatever because like it's taking away from trans non-binary lgbtqi a plus authors which is like the main point here because like we were just saying like as you were sorry as you were just saying we haven't read that many trans books i don't think they're as mainstream as they should be but it's like we can still think of some but there's just not a massive list that i can think of in my mind personally and i also feel those authors tend to fall into stereotypes or ideas that may or may not help the trans community. It's not their lived experiences. So even if they're very good, in te- they have very good intentions. Like I've heard from Craig Silver in interviews about his book, I still felt the main character of that novel was a bit stereotyped and cartoonish from time to time. Very two-dimensional. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know, at some point, <sighs> You have to ask, you know, is it more important for that representation to be out there, even if it's not authentic? Because I think it's important for people to read about all sort of experiences. And if the author has a good intention, hopefully that that it makes the, the reading experience worth it. But I think it is very important to hear from um, those voices themselves. So like you, Allo, having this whole discussion sort of made me realise I really haven't read enough of any non-binary authors or or trans authors and I'd really like to read some more so um, I think we've all kind of gone away and done a bit of research and found some things that we want to read and one that I had highly recommended to me and I have been meaning to get to for a while is about I don't know if you know the Australian actor 
gosh, what's her name? Georgie Stone, who was on Neighbours and she's a trans rights advocate, but her mother wrote a memoir about that Georgie transitioning and about what it was like growing up with, oh, so raising a child who was clearly identifying as female, but was born as a male. And so she, she was, um, yeah, so Georgie began transitioning when she was 10. Um, and basically the, her case was, um, I'm just reading from the, the blog. It was the, the beginning of a long road to justice for transgender children in Australia and became the basis of the 2013 landmark decision to remove the family court's jurisdiction. So that sounds like a really interesting read and one that I'm quite keen to get to soon. That is really good. I'm putting also putting that on my list. And for anyone interested, uh, we'll be we'll be in our next in our next section. We'll be talking a little bit more about this. But for anyone interested, I wanted to give a shout out to a trans rights readathon that's happening on Bookstagram that's being organised by Sim Bookstagram Badly. It's happening from March 20th to the March 27th, and they put together a lovely resource of um, books, suggested books that you can read. So it's celebrating books by trans, non-binary, and gender queer authors. So if you have time, or in your own time, I am sure everyone has got their um, stockpile TBR um, after this episode. Uh, it's a good one to check out, and I'll send that. Can I just I also wanna... add, sorry, yes. I meant to say, I was talking about Georgie Stone. Mm. Um, there's also a short documentary that she's made about her journey, which is on Netflix. Um, it's just a 30-minute documentary, but it's quite interesting. We'll include all that in the show notes, yes. <laughs> different <laughs> different media types. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot of suggestions that we can compile together. So a bit of a segue and a very on topic of what we're discussing right now is with the reading of non-binary and transgender authors, um, I guess the flip side of the coin is like we are getting more and more problematic authors coming out either on Twitter, via newspaper publications. So this episode was originally planned around the Women Books Prize and we were reading Chimamanda's uh, Ngozi Adichie's Half of Yellow Sun, which had been voted a Reader's Favourite Woman Prize winner. But as we did a little bit more research, we found that Adichie probably held anti-trans views, which was, I well, to me, hugely disappointing. I don't know about the rest of you. And, you know, and this is all arriving at a time when trans people are continuing to fight for their basic rights. In the United States, if you have seen Hundreds of bills have been introduced across the states that target trans people and the human rights groups have called 2021 and I guess subsequently 2022 a record-breaking year for anti-LGBTQ legislation. And I thought this quote was really powerful, so I just pulled it out, but Grace Levery, an associate English professor at the University of California who edits the Transgender Studies Quarter, had said this to Times, which was people seem to think that trans people are gaining rights rather than losing rights. And it's very frightening time to be trans. And but somehow this idea persists that trans people are on the mat when the opposite is true. Their civil rights are in rapid retreat. So I guess in the light of the weight of everything that's happening abroad and also right here in Australia, and I guess the collective belief of this podcast that you know feminism, when we speak about it, it should advocate for women's right for all women, not just cisgender women. We're not going to be referring to book on the podcast. Instead, I think we're just going to continue the conversation we've been having in our last segment, which was how do we approach problematic authors? Because sometimes we as readers come across, you know, we read a book halfway and then something pops up. I'm sure it's happened to you before. But how do you 
deal with that when something like that comes to light? Do you not read the book? Do you continue reading the book? Something that comes to mind is the recent Roldal, like the publishing companies are just rewriting his books completely. So I thought it would be interesting for us to kind of discuss that and your approach to it and how you kind of go about doing that. I think it's a, a very good question. And I've, I've done a lot of thinking about that, particularly since the one who must not be named has been very advocate mm. against uh, trans women um, because her books are quite big and lots of people keep reading it. And discussing with some friends, they were telling me like, well, but she created this story, has nothing to do with that. She's not talking about this in her books. But I also feel like if you keep reading those books and recommending those books to new generations, you're just empowering those views because those authors will feel they have the audience to give their thoughts on that. So my intake is, yeah, try not to read them. And I'm going to try to be more careful and do probably a little bit of research of the author before I engage into a book. I do have to say that I did finish Chimamanda's book, but I, I also understand that's my privilege because I'm not a trans person and I, I, I'm not affected directly by her point of view, but I, I'm like you, but I was very disappointed to learn about that. Could I say I paused reading the book when this all came up, when we started talking about her views. I'd been struggling to get into it anyway, but it is a book that I've been wanting to read for a long time. I feel like at some point you, you do need to separate the artist from the artwork but like you say we've, we've got this platform if we're out there talking about this book and promoting it essentially is what we do on our Instagram accounts I don't want to be promoting the work of someone who has those views and similarly I won't post about Harry Potter on my Instagram for instance I'm quite happy to still read Harry Potter I wouldn't go out and buy a new copy of the book because I feel like that's supporting the author so it's really tricky as well, because um, if you think about the way that society changes too, I mean, there are probably lots of famous authors from past centuries whose views we would completely disagree with now, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be reading them and that they aren't important in the canon. But I think when it comes to an author who's alive now and is saying things like this that are quite damaging to communities, then we shouldn't be giving them a platform in any way. But I don't necessarily think there's a problem with reading the book privately. I, I agree with you. And I sometimes think like, I can think, for example, of Isabel Allende, who I absolutely adore. And I can see how her views have transformed through the year. Like I just read one of her, her first novels recently, and she has like a very stereotypical gay character in that, but I, it was written in the 80s. So I thought like now probably might be a bit problematic. But having read her recent, more recent work, I can see how her characters that are from the LGBTQ community or trans characters, and she has made them deep and complex. So it is sometimes that the authors were born in a different time, but there's, there are authors that are willing to learn and understand that things change and they're here to learn. That's fair. I mean, for me personally, especially with um, Half of the Yellow Sun, I'd already finished the book before we found out and I was so appalled and like that's the same with like she who shall not be named and like other authors who come out with certain things uh like Holden Shepard for example is one of my one of the authors I just will not touch with a 10 foot pole I just I because I don't personally agree with um their like statements about like the LGBT community um toxic masculinity um or racism and things like that it's like 
if I don't agree with the author's views um, and their views are like harmful to those communities, I, I won't read it. I won't promote it. Um, I'll never think of it again, frankly, because like I just don't want to be like associated with that personally, especially like having a platform such as Bookstagram and this podcast. It's like I don't want to be associated whatsoever with those negative sorts of things because that's not what I portray and that's not what I believe in. Those are really like thoughtful and interesting views. Like I, yeah, I was disappointed because, you know, Adishi wrote one of my favorite novels, Americana, and then also wrote We Should All Be Feminists. And Alo, like your point about authors changing was really interesting because Adishi held these views in 2017 and then doubled down in 2021. So <laughs> there was no change, um, which again, just, uh was I like somebody take Twitter and their platform away from these authors because I don't I really really wish uh they kind of stayed buried in like dead trees rather than a live medium but um I think all of you've given a really great perspective on how to deal and how you've personally dealt with and will deal with um reading problematic authors I think you're all absolutely right promotion wise we shouldn't do that but they do kind of hold sort of sometimes they hold historically, for example, sometimes the traces of white history and that not necessarily should be erased away, but be read critically. And I also think it's important sometimes to read people who don't hold the same views at all, because that's how we know what are the issues that needs, that still need to be addressed and worked on. And reading authors that have the same point of view as us won't enrich our perspective of the world and will just trap us in a little bubble in which everyone thinks the, the same way as, as us. So before we wrap up, what is everyone currently reading or reading next? Um, I'm reading Bernadine Evaristo's Manifesto, which you can't see properly because the screen screen. Um, I feel like every time we do a podcast, I'm reading a book some one of you has recommended to me. So <laughs> um, thank you, Aloe, for that one, uh, for the recommendation. I didn't know until Aloe read it that she actually had released like a memoir style book. Um, so as soon as I found out, I raced down to the library to get it. So it's quite good. I really enjoyed it very much, and I'm glad that you're enjoying it too, Jamie. I am reading How the Warm Sister Swept Her House, which I've been loving. It's very dark and very heavy, lots of violence. So if you're not in the right mindset, um, might not be the best one to read. Um, but was shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2021, so it's very on brand with this episode. And I am absolutely loving it, loving it um, so much. I'm going to bend the rules a little bit because I don't want to talk about the book I'm currently reading. I really want to talk to you about the book that I finished a week or two ago, which was <laughs> The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. And everyone I talked to <laughs> is really sick of me talking about this book, but I just loved it so much. Uh, and I didn't ever think that Brett Easton Ellis was um, an author that I would be interested in. Um, particularly, you know, just knowing like, you know, American Psycho and things like that. I'm not really into blood and gore, but this was just the most meta thing I've ever read. He's like written this, it's basically like a memoir of his final year of high school and it's older Brett writing about younger Brett, but then like, it's not just um, a straight memoir. He's just inserted this serial killer into it. Who's like stalking his, <laughs> all these people in LA and get, is zooming in on his friends and 
it gets all manic and crazy about it and oh my gosh it's just everything there's all this um talk about the music he's listening to on his his mixtapes in his car as he's driving around la there's very graphic sex scenes he's having sex with men and women and uh the drug use the debauchery of the 80s i just i lapped it up it was so good since i read your review on instagram mm, i've been wanting to get same. my hands on that book yeah maybe we can do a buddy Period, because I yeah that would be great. I want someone to discuss that with afterwards. Yeah, I, yes. I yeah. read it with a couple of other um, bookstagrammers, and it did make it a mm, lot more fun. Yeah, and it's a big boy too. It's like quite thick. <laughs> it, it does need a little bit of editing. Yeah, it's quite. It's, quite <laughs> it's kind of mesmeric as well. You just get okay. And, like I read the last two hundred and fifty pages in one sitting. I could just oh, wow. stop once I got to that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's a Spotify playlist of all the songs he mentions. Too, of course, so of course sort of there is. The, <laughs> I have, yeah. Oh, good. I have to say, I'm like picked up for Ace Nell's book in like ages, and I thought I would never would again after American Psycho. I was like, no. <laughs> I've never it's read it enough. before. But I'm never read to go back and read yeah. than Zero because he talks about mm. the process of writing it in this book. Okay. Interesting. I, Ian, you'd be happy to know I'm reading our fave, Ronnie Scott. Um, new ah, book, Shirley. It is uh, it is as it is as funny as um, it is is as funny as the adversary, but is I guess not fun? as um, but it's older because the protagonist is like in her thirties, so it's also a lot more subtle, I guess. Because I felt adversary was like really like bouncy, mm. <laughs> um, a little bit. So it's been it's fun. It's an observational, it's a observational um novel as well. Not much, not much happens. <laughs> But, but I've been another one I want Yeah. I've heard that the characters from the adversary appear in Shirley. I'm, yeah, I'm still I'm still waiting, but I think um I think uh because in the in the in the plot of the book, a little bit of a plot of the book is the main character's um boyfriend decides he wants to experiment with boys, so they broke up. So I, I'm assuming that's when they'll come in. <laughs> right yeah but um yeah I've enjoyed it it's a it's a pandemic novel though so I was like and Melbourne's really going through it I feel like all the Melbourne authors are just writing about those six lockdowns at the moment like little well, poems about that as well <laughs> yeah well for two years that's all we have I, know, I, know. I was like oh okay here we go again <laughs> so I guess a trigger warning for that we, we were in the longest city in the world in a lockdown for nothing so I know yeah. I know but they also don't want that to become our personality <laughs> like I'm bored <laughs> like, let's go um, Melbourne we're good at lockdowns and coffee yeah well <laughs> at least we had the coffees during That's... lockdowns <laughs> the only thing we had Okay, well, I think that's a wrap. So our next episode, we'll be reading a woman prize fiction nominee in the longlisted, which is The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. It's going to be quite exciting. I don't think we've done sort of historical fiction before. And by historical fiction, as Jamie pointed out, I meant like something that's like old, old, <laughs> not the 60s <laughs> or 70s. Which is also historical, but it's a another historical way. fiction novel. Yeah, the yeah. It's a Whereas the others have been like a mix yeah. of world events with exactly there are that, yeah. there are corsets involved. That's what I that's what I imagine. <laughs> the <laughs> Paris portraits about, which is proper historical. Um, exactly. 
thank you all for having this lovely chat once again on a beautiful Sunday morning and turning on your brains for this podcast. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for listening. The book's baby theme music was written by Paul Smith and performed by Paul Smith and Ian Sykes. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which this podcast was recorded. We pay our respects to Indigenous elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land.